This chord is really close to me. That's gonna be a problem. Oh, you know, don't just go into it, Kate. Oh, hi, you're listening to Service From Hell Presents Amuse Bouche. And this is where the chef brings over lovely little treats for you. And for us, it means listener letters. This is part three. Um, We have gotten such a positive response from you all. We're super grateful. Thank you so much. And we're going to do a few letters today to hopefully answer some more of your lovely questions. If you yourself want to send in a question, send us an email at servicefromhellpodcast at gmail.com. That is servicefromhellpodcast at gmail.com. And someone from our team will respond and let you know that we are going to read your question and which episode to look out for that it will be answered on. And yeah, and oh, oh, on that same email address, feel free to send us your receipts. We have gotten a few funny pictures of people who are writing sweet little notes for people to listen to Service From Hell, which we super appreciate. If you are a service worker in a customer service position that receives tips and you get a big fat zero, we'd love to see it. Or on the more positive side, if you get a big fat chunk of change, we would love to see that too. Obviously, don't include any identifying information on their credit card numbers, but just a picture of the receipt. Cover up the weird shit. That's all. That's what we got for you to start out. Okay. We have three questions today. The first comes from Gerald in Montreal, Canada. Not trying to be a keener, but I am curious. By the way, audience, I had to look up what that word means. And it means, I think, someone who's overly excited or like a brown noser. That's the definition that I found. But anyway, not trying to be a keener, but I am curious. When is it the employee's fault? You spend a lot of time defending the actions of the employees and say that the customers are often rude. But what if the employee is acting rudely? Might be different down south, but it seems unfair to always say the customers are out of order. Thanks, Gerald. This is a fair question. I feel as though we were sort of due to be asked this because we do spend a lot of time blaming customers on the podcast. And I think it's just because the positions that we all have are on the receiving end. And as we have talked about ad nauseum, there is sort of a power dynamic that gets established when it's a tipped position. So there is that to consider. When is it the employee's fault? Listen, I have worked with in the very recent past, some people who, if they spoke to me or behaved the way that I have seen happen, I would leave, probably leave the experience because they would have ruined my night because I'm a sensitive little flower. But I would also definitely not tip them. And it takes so much for me to not tip. I mean, just so much. There's, it's, short of, you know, physical contact or calling me outside of my name, it's you're going to get something. And some of the ways that I have seen coworkers interact with customers are abhorrent, to be fair. I have watched fellow employees yell at customers, tell them to shut up. I have seen, you know, that sort of subtle attitude that is more overt than it is subtle. And you can tell that the person that is waiting on you is not having a great day. I have seen that repeatedly. And yeah, I mean, it would be naive to say that it is always the customer's fault. That's not fair. Not only is it naive, it's naive and unfair, but it's also just statistically impossible for the same person in an interaction to be wrong every time. So the customer's being rude to us is sometimes in direct response to our being short or shitty to them. So, you know, I don't have 
maybe I do. I'm trying to think of a specific example that I would have where I was rude. Okay, here's one. There was a, so in the smaller upstairs room at the comedy club where I used to work, there it's, the turnover is very fast. The turnover in all the rooms is very fast and it's usually two shows a night and the smaller room usually has very picky particular producers who have things, you know, the way that they want them done. And then you get a lot of diva comics up there and you just get a lot of really demanding customers. There's very few people that go to a comedy club that don't feel entitled to something on some level. That's just been my experience. I can't say the same is true from having worked in a bar, having worked in a restaurant. I just can say that from working at a comedy club, I will say there there's almost no one in the building short of maybe the roaches in the wall that doesn't feel entitled to some sort of something. Now that could be entitled to a cup of water and that could also be entitled to a sort of VIP exceptional experience. So it can be entitlement of a small thing or entitlement of a big thing. It often happens with customers that they feel entitled to not have to get the two drinks or to be entitled to sit wherever they want or to be entitled to heckle the comics or take photos or record audio, you know, any of those various things. And those things are sort of pretty overt, overtly not allowed to happen. But there was a night when an older gentleman, I want to say he was late 50s, probably early 60s, had decided that on this trip to California, he was going to try edibles for the first time. And listen, I don't know a lot, but I do know that eating weed is much more questionable, I would say, than smoking it because eating it, you don't know how much you're actually putting in your body. And especially if that isn't part of your normal practice, like if you're not really a drug person, you don't know. So the only reason that I know that he took an edible was because it's, so it gets really hot up in that room. It was a summer day. It was probably minimum 90 degrees in the room and that was with the air on and it was packed and it was the first show so it meant we were going to have to get this the this audience out very quickly and so I'm taking care of the left half of the room and and the the part of this room part of every room there but particularly this room is speed because you're going up and down stairs in between every order, like a whole flight and the bar is downstairs in the basement. So it's a, you have to factor that in for your time. So timing in that room is more important. And so this gentleman sits down, but he sort of plops down and I don't notice it at first. And all of a sudden he slumps forward and it's not the, I'm going to vomit. It looked as though I thought it was diabetic shock because I've seen that a few times and I can kind of suss out the difference between that and drunk slump. And his wife starts panicking. And so I go over because they happen to be in my section and I was like, Hey, you know, I need, I need everybody here to talk to me. I need to understand what was it. You know, I, I have them basically break down what he ate, how much he drank. And if this was heat stroke. So I immediately go, I say, okay, I'm going to get orange juice right now. And I go downstairs and I get orange juice and then I get the manager who, you know, doesn't really, who thinks I'm being dramatic. And there was nobody, there was no, and nobody else in the room except for the other server who was busy doing her job. So I get him to get, 
aware enough to drink some of the orange juice. And I handled the situation, I think, fairly well. And but then the manager comes up and is like, you have to leave. And he was much, much more. He, he came to really after the orange juice. So what I think happened is, yes, he took an edible. But then I think he also there was some sort of diabetic or sugar response that can I've seen that happen in people who take edibles as well. I've just seen a lot of various responses. Like don't just think cuz it's legal in California that you that it's going to just do to you what you understand. Um anyway, that's a whole other lecture series that has nothing to do with this podcast. But so he comes to a little bit and then his wife completely calms down and wants to stay for the show because it was a show that was most assuredly going to have a surprise guest. And I believe the surprise guest ended up being Bill Burr that night. So, you know, a, a massive name and in a very tiny room. So I, I talked to the manager and I'm like, I'm not willing to serve them anything. And I think it's a real medical, it's sort of a medical risk to keep them here. And he agreed with me and he said to the wife, he was like, look, you guys have to go. And they wanted to argue and I kept my cool, but it was also, it's a pretty jarring experience to see someone who you're like, this person might need an ambulance. And it happens so regularly at the club that you just sort of think you don't see how it's affecting you, but I'm, I'm also, a, I'm just a sensitive person and that stuff really affects me. And that's the part of working in, well, one of the many parts of working in nightlife that is so, so, so hard is watching people pushed to this inexplicable kind of edge and taking their bodies on this, I don't know, this train ride. Not that I haven't done a version of that myself. I'm not an angel, but I just, it's just really tough to see night after night anyway. So I was taxed and this, and it was, like I said, it was like 90 degrees in the room and it was the first of two shows. And I knew, you know, and I was probably coming up, this was probably my fourth shift that week. And I just had had it. I was just so tired. It makes me nauseous thinking about doing this again. Anyway. So I, so they get, he gets ushered out and now the show has started late because we all thought that was a medical emergency and it, it was bordering on it. And so the show starts late. So then you're losing even more time in the room to turn the rooms, but the show's still going to take its two solid hours because that's how these diva producers are. And I get it. You've, you've, you know, you've asked for the room for two hours. So I get it from both sides. So as we are getting everybody out of the room, this couple is lingering and sort of taking their time. And it was a couple that had complimented because the the husband and the couple owns bars and started as an EMT. And so both of them said lovely things to me, which was very sweet. But I don't, I don't recognize faces because you're moving so quickly there. So this couple happened to be kind of lingering in the back when we were turning over the room. And I ran up and I was like, hey, guys, you got to get out of the room. We have to turn this room over. And I said it probably even more abruptly and rudely than that. And the guy goes, Jesus, we were just waiting. Like, okay, we'll leave. And I recognized that I came at him really harshly, especially because he and his wife had just been so lovely to me and like saw me as a whole person, <laughs> you know, before then. And I went and found them on the patio later. And I was like, hey, sorry. You know, I was I was really flustered. But that would happen a lot there that I would come at people hot because I was coming off of a heated experience, whether that be, you know, a heated exchange or dealing with, a, a, you know, a super demanding famous person or dealing with management or whatever it was there. Like I said, there's so many entitled people in those walls and there's so many highly charged experiences because you're, you're fighting time in your entire shift. And, 
if you get thrown off even for two minutes, your whole night can be done because you'll never get those two minutes back. And so getting people out of the room to be able to start the second show that was already being sat was key. And so I was absolutely wrong. So Gerald, to <laughs> this is the longest response of all time to your simple question. I, I do feel as though we as the customer service workers absolutely come at people wrong a lot. Absolutely. And we have bad days too. And the, the bummer in customer service, particularly in nightclubs and restaurants and bars, is that whatever the table that is shitty to you doesn't actually end up being the table that suffers. It's the table and or customers, the, the like five or six after that experience that suffer. And they could be absolutely lovely people. And I've caught myself doing that more than once of just coming at, uh, you know, because the tables are so squished together there, coming at the second table that I go to with a ton of attitude that they didn't earn or deserve. And I try, I would try to like write it off as the surly comedy store or comedy club server, but it's not a cute look. Like it, like I have said so many times on this podcast, that job did not bring out the best in me. And, you know, the turn and burn model is a really difficult model to make work, but it's even more difficult to make work when you are fighting so many personalities, including your own, you know, and I think four shifts in a row is too many there. And I think that that also would play into me being rude to people. And so, yes, absolutely. The customer service workers who punish you table C for the interaction they had at table A, that's wrong, right? I mean, but it is also, I'm not, I am defending it a bit, but it's really hard to go from getting shit on by table A and then turn literally in the six six inch space that you have to the next set of 10 people at one table that you have to take individual orders from and be like, hey, how are you? What can I get for you? After you were just shit on. It's, it's, you, you definitely learn to take less stuff personally and you get thicker skin and all of the things that I guess are better and make you a hardened, bitter person, I guess is good. But there is that you don't ever have time to recover because, because usually in a normal restaurant setting, if a customer shits on you and wants the bill for free and whatever, and they do their thing, you can go in the back and be like, man, table 47 is annoying as hell and they're terrible and whatever. And you're going to get a bunch of people commiserating with you and being like, yeah, absolutely. They were terrible. Or, oh, you're right. Blah, blah, blah. At the comedy club, it's so fast. There's no time. There's no time. So you just keep swallowing. It's just like a bunch of shit water. Just swallow, swallow, swallow. And so the occasional times that you interact with like, a table is giving you, I don't know, what's that really good orange drink at McDonald's that they're bringing back? That Sunkist or the, the high C, whatever the hell it is. That orange drink, like that table could be the equivalent of that, but you were busy drinking shit water for the last five tables. So one table of Sunkist or high C isn't going to make up for the shit water you've been drinking. This is a really good metaphor. I'm very proud of myself. Anyway, <laughs> all that to say, yes, yes, Gerald, I do feel it is. Uh, it is never a hundred percent. It's not a zero sum game where it's always the customers or it's always the employees. That's not, that's just statistically impossible, but the piles on piles on piles, you could interact with a hundred amazing customers. And then if the next 10 that you have are treating you like pure garbage, 
you're not going to remember the previous hundred that were awesome. You might think of them several days later and think, huh, that night wasn't a total wash, but you're going to hyper focus on those 10 because fuck those 10 people. <laughs> like they're rude. And that sucks. So Gerald, that's a really long winded response to how we are sometimes wrong. But yes, you're not a keener. <laughs> I like that I learned that word. Okay, question number two. Eric from Salt Lake City writes, I saw this definition of poor customer service and it made me actually laugh. I work for a restaurant out here and it makes me go cross-eyed crazy when I hear about expectation. Oh, this is, who knew? I really didn't write my answer for the last one. That's funny. She wrote expect, or he, she, or they wrote uh, expectations in quotes. The definition I saw was, quote, what is poor customer service? Poor customer service happens anytime your business fails to meet a customer's expectations. It could be the quality of service your customer received, how long it takes for you to answer their phone call. This, I guess, could also mean restaurant or table or just their overall experience with your brand. What do you think about this definition? Oh, end quote. What do you think about this definition? Oh, Aaron, this is loaded. Uh, poor customer service. It, the, the, it's, it's a flawed. The thesis is wrong or the, the sort of premise of this question or the premise of their definition is wrong. Happens when anytime your business fails to meet your customer's expectations my God. I mean, you have just set us all up for failure because P.S. Aaron, you, me and Tom down the street, we're not going to know what our customers expectations are, because I'll tell you this much. It isn't just I'm expecting to I don't know, for like Subway, I'm expecting to get a good Subway sandwich or for a comedy club. I'm expecting to laugh and buy two drinks. It's I'm expecting you to speak to me in a certain way, but not too long. But I'm also expecting you to not enforce the rules with me, make me a terminally unique bunny unicorn that doesn't have to follow the rules that have been established for the establishment that I am currently inside of. So it's a little, the premise of this is flawed because it's just, it's too, it's flawed because it's impossible to meet expectations, especially because unless the customer comes in with a typed, drafted, laminated, you know, sheet of paper stating, hello, customer service worker, these these are the things that I expect to happen during this experience. Then otherwise you're guessing because short of even in a call center setting, if someone's calling and saying my radio is broken or whatever the hell, do people even listen to radios anymore? I don't know. Uh, my whatever the hell is broken if you as the representative have to follow the toe, the company line of, yeah, well, you just, you always say no the first time around, which is a real thing that some customer service call centers are told, especially when it's, you know, trying to cash in on the warranty or whatever, that customer's expectations have already been not met and they're already disappointed and they're already potentially going to come at you hot because, they came to you for the solution and you didn't offer them a solution. So I think in that setting, it's, I, I just think that the idea of expectations is where this is so wrong in general, because uh, Aaron, who wrote in this question says that they work in a restaurant out in Salt Lake city. And so I think expectations hits a little harder for those of us that work in food and beverage service, because, you know, I, I might like the way that, uh, a pizza tastes smothered in pineapple and onion. Ooh, I do. Ooh, I do. A little bit of barbecue sauce. That's, that's my pizza jam. And 
someone else who's stupid might say that pineapple and pizza is gross and fuck them because they don't know what they're talking about. But also that's just some people's preferences, right? So if the expectation is that a pizza place is going to have both pineapple and whatever the hell people that don't like pineapple, like, like I don't know, mushrooms on pizza, barf everywhere, fine. You, you might walk into a pizza establishment and expect both options because that's just what you expect. Well, this particular pizza location may only give you cheese pizza and tell you to fuck off or whatever. And now your expectations haven't been met. Well, did you get poor customer service? I mean, yes. Okay. If they told you to fuck off, sure. But if they just said, well, I didn't know we only have cheese pizza here. Is that necessarily not meeting your, or is that necessarily poor customer service? Well, no, it just didn't meet your expectations. So that is a long answer too. But then I also, I need to look at my own sort of when I go into a customer service situation, I need to look at the fact that I also have expectations. And, you know, I've gotten frustrated when I've ordered a black coffee and gotten it with cream or, you know, um, I wanted the customer service person to help me find a certain size and that person couldn't be bothered or something. I mean, Those are expectations that I guess that I have. And I think maybe this definition is just a little too broad um, and it needs to be, and maybe there needs to be additional wording added to it where it says, you know, baseline, like poor customer service happens anytime your business fails to meet your customer's baseline expectations, which are expectations that everyone should have when interacting with your particular business, meaning when I go to, I can't think of an innocuous business that wouldn't come after us, but just when I go into a retail store and I want, you know, I'm, I need help finding the dressing room that the customers or the sales person can help me find the customer or the Jesus, that the sales person can help me find the dressing room. I mean, I think that's sort of a baseline expectation. So it would be frustrating and disappointing if that person were just like, find it yourself. <laughs> or some version thereof, or just ignored me. So maybe what I don't like about this is that when I think of expectations, I always think of, or when I think of that word, I think of unrealistic expectations in customer service, because I think that the last job I had at the comedy club, we were held to unrealistic expectations, or maybe not even unrealistic. Yeah, unrealistic again, but but them, sometimes customers didn't know. And I, I think that there needs to be grace handed over on both sides for both the customer and the customer service worker. And, you know, now because everybody gripes about everything and there's so many places to bitch, apart from just online, you have so many options to complain. And if I get one more goddamn survey from a place where I just bought a $2, I don't even know, pair of socks or something, I don't, uh, sending a, a customer survey about my experience every single time, I understand the value of feedback. I do think that that is important, but my God, we have way too many places where we can let people know what's up. And I don't think that that's healthy. I I don't think that it has carved out this niche in our society where we're all just crushing it because we get to tell everybody about our opinions and think that our opinions are sparkly and super matter when they don't. 
I mean, they really don't, right? It's 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 a law of averages when it comes to customer service and it's a majority. And listen, do I think that disparaging comments and calling someone outside of their name or being disrespectful should be something that we all just take on the chin a little bit? Absolutely not. I, I don't. There's no setting in which uh, that can be justified. I've gotten some of the worst news of my life whilst I was at work and had to finish a shift. I mean, so, and I couldn't tell people to eat my ass when they were, you know, because I was having a bad day. You you just, there's just not a setting in which I think that that framework is acceptable. However, I do think that the fact that we all think that we're playing big brother with each other which is so ironic considering everybody's so concerned about being tracked and all this just fear-based nonsense that we're all walking through with COVID. But it is fascinating to me that we all really can big brother each other, whether it's, you know, taking down an entire company because you stage a photo of having found, you know, animal parts in your cereal or in your, I don't know, chip bag or whatever, or if it's just you happen to have a ton of Twitter followers because you've been on since the dawn of time and you, you know, drug enough uh, people in a certain company that you start getting people fired. I mean, I think that's that's insane. And that level of retribution against people, not just in customer service positions, but particularly in customer service positions is quite honestly, frightening. I don't think any, I don't think we as consumers should have that much power. The thing we should all be rallying against is, you know, I guess the corporate side of things, but it doesn't, people are so focused on the micro things that they can control, which is why often customer service workers end up being the people that become the catch-all because it is, you know, sort of lowest powered positions tend to receive the most uh, slaps. I mean, that's just that's just the grossest perspective, but I, I genuinely think it's true. And knowing that we have to take it on the chin a bit because we are, as I always say, singing for our supper is taken advantage of. And so I think these expectations of you know, I snap my fingers and someone comes to my table and my drink is halfway full and the next one's on its way. And this bananas foster or whatever, some flambe dessert is, you know, perfectly aflame when it arrives at my table or whatever. I mean, I just think that we have lost our way in that people are having such a hard time being present that they're so busy adding up things and putting them on a ledger and it is an exhausting way to live and it ruins going out in public anywhere. I mean, it just does. If you are busy keeping a tally of all of the perceived wrongs that you have experienced whilst you were out in public in whatever way, shape or form that takes, you need a hobby. It, It just, what an exhausting way to live. And when I am the most depressed, I am certain I probably do the same thing if I have the energy to do it because it becomes this thing that you can focus on other than your own misery. I think it's part of why people drive like psychopaths in LA besides the fact that traffic makes you want to, you know, pluck your own eyes out with a fork. There is this sense of controlling this one thing and I'm mad. So I'm going to take it out in this sort of seemingly anonymous way. 
And I know everybody makes a joke about, oh, it's a troll train or this person's trolling or whatever. And we all laugh about it. But it's actually an insane concept that we've all just decided to accept that people can just anonymously come for you online. It just, I mean, I don't even, I don't even think celebrities should be able to become for in the same way. I just, I have, I have derailed folks. I am all over the place. So Aaron, to answer your question, <laughs> I also find that that definition of poor customer service as laughable. And I think it is a false pre premise that, you know, because I think the problem therein lies with expectations. So I don't think it's a good definition is the really short answer to your question after a six hour response. So I hope that answers that, Aaron. And our final question comes from Chris, who's from didn't want to say, oh, Chris didn't want to say where they are from. And this is why they write, I don't want to say where I live because people will be able to figure out where I am based on by the question, but I work for a theme park and I am worried we are going to have to go back to sorting through the wreckages of family trips that end horribly again. I have seen so much crying and heard so many fights with family members who lost patience for the entire experience, and I'm not looking forward to doing that again. Since we are all already fried to the max, I think we're going to see more families killing each other. Do you have any other listeners who work in theme parks or have written in about this? The days are flying by and I am looking into the future makes me want to quit. Help. Oh, Chris. Huh. I have personally, I have limited theme park experience, but I have some, although it was, it was holiday specific and that is a story for another time. We, we have listeners that do work at theme parks, but have not written in about like with specific questions have just said, Oh, I work at fill in the blank theme park and I can relate kind of thing. So to shortly answer your question, yes, there are other listeners who work in theme parks, but no one has specifically written in with a question like what you have asked. And I think in the context of, COVID, which this question sort of is because it, you mentioned that the theme park is going to open again. I would assume this is, well, I'm not going to, I shouldn't say that on, on the air. Anyway, wherever you are from, Chris, I would say that I think, as has been said before, I think we're going to step into some version of what has been called the roaring 20s of, the, of 2021 because people are going to be so hungry to be out and at least those of us who have been following the guidelines and sort of staying, like haven't been going to theme parks and haven't been sort of out in the world. I think there will be such a hunger for interaction and wanting to travel again and wanting to just get on a roller coaster just because and to celebrate because because often people pair theme park visits with holidays. And that was obviously not an option in 2020. So I think, I think people are just going to be, I'm going to put it out there. People are just going to be so grateful to be out that I do think that families are sick of each other. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of family trips, you know, in 2021 that are like, Oh yeah, mom went to Florida, dad went to Canada and the kids were shipped off to Seattle. You know, I, I just wouldn't be surprised if there are separate family vacations because 
families are living in each other's filth and bodies and everything. Like they're just too close. It's too much time. It's too much time. No one is meant to spend that much time with other human beings in the repetitively. No way. I mean, I just, I think that people are going to have a renewed, fresher sense of gratitude for what life could look like if they don't have access to these things, because we all got to experience in real time what it is like to not have access to theme parks, movie theaters, shopping malls, et cetera. You know, you all walked through it, you know, I don't have to list it. And so I really do believe that there will be a renewed sense of gratitude for just even having the permission to access these things that were largely inaccessible to us for now over a year. And a year of our lives is a long time. God bless the kids. I mean, it's a lot longer for them, but yeah, a year of your life is a long time. So I, I, in, I fundamentally believe there will be a renewed sense of gratitude. And I would say a lot of us, myself included, have a deep, deep, deep fear and are not holding a lot of joy in our hearts to go back to dealing with people the way they were pre-COVID. Because the way we were all doing life before was not sustainable. I mean, it was meant to burst. It just, it just was not sustainable. And there are other parts of our sort of infrastructure as humans that is not sustainable. And that's a not, <laughs> it's just not funny to talk about. But I would say, I think we're going to get better. I think we're going to come back from this. And, you know, I think the the lines to hug Mickey Mouse are going to be out the, out the turnstile. And I think the desire to ride rides is going to just be so, so overwhelming that people are going to do it. The other thing you have to remember, though, that was not part of this question is that a lot of us and Chris, yourself included, from what I can suss out from this question, a lot of us have been unemployed this entire time. And so there's been a real issue of finances. And so, you know, I doubt the people that have been unable to pay rent, shout out to my mom for letting me live for free for the last year. You know, the people who have been unable to pay rent are, I mean, I seriously doubt that they're going to have this sort of <laughs> excess cash to be able to, for, to afford a thousand dollar family trip to a theme park. So there is that. I think that the reopening people are going to be excited for, but it, the issue becomes financially, what can you pay for? So that is also something to consider. And uh, yeah, I think that you're going to see probably more family meltdowns, but you may see, on the flip side, you may see less because again, I continue to put it out there. There will be a renewed sense of gratitude that the lights are on again and the doors are open and we are able to live some semblance of the life we understood before. And, you know, we are, I mean, we are enormously privileged that our concern is how do we get back to theme parks and movie theaters? I mean, that is a level of privilege to be able to have that as your concern is something we all need to be in deep, deep gratitude for. And that the concern isn't how am I going to eat, which now we have 50% less kids in poverty. What up? But you know, I, I just, I find it, I, I find myself hopeful. I do. And it's just not possible to go through the trauma of this last year plus 
and not come out different. I just, I, it's just not, we're not a, a world of sociopaths. Like we're not, we're a world of greedy people, but I don't think we're a world of sociopaths. And so I do think people are going to want to hug and chat and be in each other's presence more. So I imagine that the theme park experience will be better. I hope that answers your question, Chris. And I hope that gives you a little bit more hope. And, you know, I hope for you that it just gets better. Okay. Well, folks, that's going to do it for us here at Service from Hell presents Amuse-Bouche. We're going to drop your checks. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out here at Service from Hell, we have lots of options for you to help us. Tell your friends, subscribe, like, rate, review, do all the things that you all so graciously already do. Please keep doing that and especially telling your friends and family to listen. And if you want to super help us out here, you can go to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash the Kate Gaffney. That's patreon.com forward slash T-H-E-K-A-T-E-G-A-F-F-N-E-Y. And there you can sign up for bonus content and support this little engine that could and take us over the finish line, whatever that looks like, whenever that is. And if you want to get in touch with us here at Service from Hell, send us your receipts at servicefromhellpodcast at gmail.com. We would really love to hear from you. Thank you to the people that have submitted listener letters so far. These have been really fun. We've gotten a lot of feedback about it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you yourself want to submit a story, we would love to hear your story. I can just, you know, I can just read your story. Don't even have to read your name. It is always very interesting for me because I think I have a pretty, I have tunnel vision when it comes to experiences with customer service because obviously it's my tunnel that I'm in, working, doing my thing. So again, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, Remember, as things open up, be extra kind to people. Make extra eye contact. We're going to have masks on half of our face. So just, you know, smile with your eyes. Let people know you're paying attention and that you're recognizing the human in them because you have human in you. Good night, y'all.